Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 14 of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I'm Ryan Wolt, and this is the show where I bring you the stories of coffee professionals, entrepreneurship, and coffee education. Today's guest, Chris O'Brien, is the founder and head roaster of Coffee Cycle Roasting, which just celebrated their fifth anniversary in Pacific Beach, San Diego. Chris is back to help us get coffee smarter by walking us through the basics of tampers and the act of tamping finely ground coffee to get the best possible espresso. We also touch on water, grind size, laminar flow, extraction flavor profiles, and penguin sounds. If you haven't had coffee roasted by Chris at Coffee Cycle yet, I mean, don't tell anyone, but hurry to coffeecycleroasting.com to get some for yourself. They roast coffee to order and ship fresh every Monday. You can go directly to that link or detour through roastwestcoast.com, where you'll find links to Coffee Cycle and so much more right there on the front page of the website. I'm not sure where you're listening, but here in Southern California, I've been enjoying the first kind of cool, overcast, marine layer mornings of the fall with big French presses full of the good stuff. There's such a nice comfort to curling up around a hot coffee, knowing it's going to keep the chill out. That's where I'm going to be for the next hour. And I hope wherever you are, a cup of coffee is making you feel warm and cozy while you listen to this podcast and we all get a little bit coffee smarter together, courtesy of coffee expert Chris O'Brien on the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. Well, we'll start there. Chris, Chris O'Brien, welcome back to the show. I always appreciate you being here, and uh, I appreciate that you have woken up despite your probably hungover state from your recent anniversary festivities. Just presuming I don't have any proof of that. I was not engaged in any illegal activities with you. You know, just past history has led me to that point. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, and uh, make sure you return that duck that you had last night. Uh, it was a penguin. You must have really not been paying attention. No, it was a duck in a penguin suit. Oh, well, that explains so much. <laughs> I have to be honest with you. The whole quacking thing was like freaking me out. I thought he was having an identity crisis. Penguins quack, man. Penguins do not quack. Dude, of course they do. I would assume they make like a, like a penguin noise. Like <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, that's a good question. I'm going to Google it. Chris, years ago, you taught me how to pull an espresso shot. It yeah. took a long time for you to trust me to do that, but you did teach me how to do that. But before we even got to the point where I was allowed to pull that espresso handle, you made me tamp coffee and then dump it tamp more coffee and dump it just to get used to the process of tamping coffee. And by that, I mean, pressing finely ground coffee grounds into the bucket that you stick into your espresso machine. Yep. I feel like I'm losing a term there, but that's essentially what it is. Like you're, you're pressing it into a compressed puck to put into the espresso machine so that when the water comes through, it's forcing its way through that puck. I want to ask you one about some of the, about the technique and about the equipment and about the style. I think there's a lot more that goes into it than people realize. But one, am I correct in explaining to the audience what tamping is? And two, can you explain what is a tamper specifically, the piece of equipment? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I really like the term bucket 
for the uh, receptacle that the finely ground espresso grounds go into that you then insert into the espresso machine. The term is basket, or if you want to get really fancy, portafilter basket. You know, Ryan, if we don't have fancy terms for things, nobody takes us seriously. So. I have only done 120 episodes of this show and, and uh, worked <laughs> in a coffee shop for a year. So yeah. occasionally I'm going to mix up bucket with portafilter. I think that's yeah. fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like like I said, I like it. It's the, um, you know, it's the every man's, uh, every man's espresso machine has a bucket instead of a portafilter basket. <laughs> Pretentious. <laughs> I mean, if you don't know what it's called, it doesn't matter. I just had to call you out because you host the show. <laughs> But so, yes, you're putting finely ground coffee grounds into this basket, this bucket, into this basket that has some small holes on the bottom. It's a filter. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a filter basket. So there's little holes in the bottom of the metal. Um, that's where the espresso comes out. And when we put the portafilter basket and we put this, this receptacle for these espresso grounds, these finely ground coffee grounds into the espresso machine, we know that we're going to be hitting high pressure water onto those coffee grounds. Water wants to find the path of least resistance, right? So if you haven't compressed those grounds down, if you haven't made them into a, a puck, you know, a hockey puck looking thing inside that basket, water's going to kind of shove the grounds off to one side and it's just going to shoot straight through without really interacting with the water much. That makes sense? Yes. A tamper is a little device that we use that fits inside, you know, relatively perfectly inside the portafilter basket. It's round and flat, so it's a, it's a circle. And you push that flat side down on top of the coffee grounds, and you push it down to compress the coffee grounds into this little hockey puck-looking thing. So if you were to, to tap that puck out of the basket, if you were to remove it from the basket, and it holds its form, hopefully, it would look, you know, kind of like a miniature hockey puck. Um, right. And the, the, the tamper itself is deceptively heavy, um, but it, it looks like a stamp, but without the stamp part. It's just flat and smooth on the bottom. So there are a lot of different shapes and sizes for tamps. And I think most people that own a home espresso machine, home espresso machines, especially, um, well, actually just a lot of them, have sometimes a built-in tamper, tamper or tamp. Sometimes those terms are used interchangeably to refer to the device that's used to compress those coffee grounds. And so sometimes you'll have a machine that has this little round piece hanging off of it. It's almost like a, like a rod with a circle attached to the bottom of it. Um, and the circle is sort of perpendicular to the rod. And so what you're supposed to do on those machines, you're supposed to lift your portafilter basket and push up against the tamper that is sticking out from the machine. So it sticks down from the top of the machine and you lift the basket up and it pushes the grounds down. Now, just get this out of the way. These things are terrible. The built-in tampers are terrible. They do a terrible job and we'll probably talk about that at some point. Just, just know that they're terrible and... You know, find find one online somewhere that's not attached to your machine because you will get better results. But yeah, the idea is you want to compress that coffee and you want to compress it into, ideally, a perfectly uniform cylinder. And the cylinder is going to have a wider diameter than it does a height. 
Um, so the height will be, you know, maybe a third or a quarter of the, probably a quarter of the diameter. And the diameter, if it's a standard um, espresso machine, will be about 58 millimeters. Standard portafilter basket is a 58 millimeter diameter basket. And that's a commercial standard, but a lot of home machines are made to that commercial standard. And then there are some that are made to a smaller standard for home use. And those take less coffee, obviously. And they have to have a, a specific tamper for that diameter basket. So the idea being you take the tamp, whether it's on the machine or it's a separate piece that you're pressing down into yep. this portafilter. When you say uniform, you essentially mean that that puck is compressed equally across, like throughout the entire thing. So the same amount of finely ground grounds throughout the thing. So that when the steam or the high pressure water hits it, it infuses it equally. So all of those grounds are equally being extracted for flavor exactly. before they're pressed out. Why does the tamping part of it matter to the coffee product? Like if I don't tamp something well, if I just suck at it, uh, which I feel like was something that was said to me enough that I remember it five years later. I was so nice to you. You are being mean to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's just hypothetically say that I am. I remember that uh, differently. <laughs> hypothetically. If I wasn't very good at it, let's say I did a bad tamp, or maybe my tamp, when you say even, it, it also means somewhat level. It means flat. Um, what if it was off a little bit or there was a groove? How is How does tamping correctly impact the coffee or not, or tamping incorrectly impact the coffee? You know, I, I, I will try not to rant too long on this one because it's um, it's definitely a bit of a rabbit hole. But there was recently, a couple of years ago, a paper released by a group of scientists, including a guy named Chris Hendon, who is a well-regarded coffee scientist, who also wrote a book called Water for Coffee um, about the chemistry of, of water uh, and how it affects coffee extraction. And Chris Hendon and his, his uh, colleague's paper was written to mathematically model how water flows through an espresso puck and not just mathematically model that, but model it such that they could take the equations they used to model it and work it backwards and come up with a ideal espresso recipe to make espresso more efficient and better overall. Um, and I've done my best to read that paper and I've, I've read most of it. Um, but it is, of a technical level that is beyond my ken. That being said, I have enough tech savvy and enough or science savvy and enough coffee knowledge that I got most of the gists of it out of there. The reason I bring it up is because when you make this, this flat cylinder of compressed coffee grounds and then you apply pressurized water to it and force the water through and then the espresso comes out the bottom, what's happening is actually incredibly complex. So one of the things they started out having to model in their mathematical model was they had to write, you know, some differential equations that modeled the particle distribution of the different grind particle sizes. Grind coffee fine, and you think that it's all exactly the same size, but of course, nothing is, these aren't like perfect little pieces of cubic zirconium. These are, were once part of a coffee bean that has been shattered and cut and broken ground and broken up until they reach approximately the same size each. And when you're talking about 
making an approximate same size each, you're going to have a bell curve distribution where there's going to be most of the particles are in this kind of ideal range. And there's some that are outliers, some that are ultra fine particles and some that are a little bit larger, fines and boulders. And so you have to model how the water interacts with the fines and the boulders and the averages of the ones in between. Then you realize that the water is going to flow differently on the sides of the basket compared to the center of the basket. The metal side of the, the bucket, the basket that we've put our compressed puck of coffee in, the metal sides are going to affect how the water flows. It's going to create what's called, I think, laminar flow, if I remember right from this paper. Um, but basically, the water is going to be hitting off the side of the metal and coming back and interact with the coffee in some ways. It's just going to affect how that water flows closer to the edge of the basket rather than in the center. So the water flow is not perfectly universal and even. In a lot of machines, we have a screw holding up a screen above the basket. It's called a dispersion screen. It's supposed to shower. It's also sometimes called a shower screen. It's supposed to shower water down evenly and equally with this pressurized water among all, the entire surface of the compressed puck of coffee we've made. Well, there's a screw in the middle of it. So is that going to affect how the water flows down into the center? So all of a sudden we realize that there's, there's all these things that are going on. And there's even more than that. Uh, when you compress that coffee with your tamper and then you put it in the machine, you're probably not realizing this, but the amount of pressure that water is putting on that puck of coffee is so much more than you were compressing it with your hand. Um, I once saw an illustration of three ballerinas balancing their toes on one portafilter because there's something like over 300 pounds of pressure equivalent being put on this puck of coffee um, from the water pressure. And so, you know, we have a tamp that has an auto leveling plate and a spring on there and the spring is calibrated to, I think, 20 pounds of pressure. So you're putting 20 pounds of pressure on there and that, that takes some force, that takes some pushing. And there's some schools of thought that say you're supposed to put 30, some schools of thought that say 15 is fine, whatever it is. None of it's close to 300 pounds. So the puck actually compresses further after you turn on the water at nine bars of pressure in your espresso machine. Well, how does that affect how water flows in there? And so now we've demonstrated that this thing is pretty complicated, right? Pretty complicated, I think you could say. I'm fairly confused. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you look confused. So I just, you know, thought I'd check in. <laughs> so since we know that it's super complicated, well, we know that there's all these ways that we can screw it up. And the main ways that we can screw it up are by tamping unevenly, creating a high side and a low side to that cylinder. Which then would cause the water to run further down one direction or overflow on one side than the other. Right. Water is going to want to find the path of least resistance. So if there's less coffee in the way on one side, more water is going to flow through the side that has less coffee and less water is going to flow through the side that has more coffee. So if you've unevenly tamped, we have an under-extracted side where there was more coffee and less water. And we have an over-extracted side where there was less coffee and more water. So that's not going to taste very good. And it's going to be hard to figure out what you did wrong because it's going to taste both over-extracted and under-extracted. So a level tamp is very important. To try to make it as perfectly level as possible is essential. The other thing where things really tend to go wrong is what we call channeling. Um, and channeling occurs in all coffee preparation. And a channel, 
I liked. I, I always get this visual when I think of a channel. Did you, ever, did you have an ant farm when you were a kid? I did not, but I always wanted one, so I know what they look like. Right. So, like, you get this, like, kind of planes of glass, and there's dirt in there, and you can kind of imagine that that dirt is kind of like your your espresso puck if you're, like, looking at a cross-section of it. And then maybe there's a little tiny hairline crack in that puck that you can't see, just visually. But your 300 pounds of water pressure is going to find that crack because it's going to find the path of least resistance. And it's going to burrow through that crack like your ant makes its little line to make the ant farm. I always think of an ant farm when I think of channeling because I just it's like a perfect visual of like, okay, you think you have this dirt, but really an ant can find its way through there. Um, and when you have it in these panes of glass, you can see it. Well, we can't see it in the coffee, but we can sometimes see it when we're looking at the bottom of the portafilter basket as it's extracting. If we have a naked portafilter, one that doesn't have spouts in the bottom, we can sometimes see that water will jet out in one direction or espresso will jet out in one direction or from one little spot. Or sometimes you'll have a stream of water that kind of or watery espresso that kind of shoots in one direction. And those are channels that you can see visibly and that they're not great because when you have water flowing through that channel, sure, that water is going to be under extracted because it's not interacting much with the coffee. But it also means that that channel is going to grow larger and larger as that water keeps going through it. Just like erosion, you know, as, as a river keeps running through the same path year after year, eventually you get the Grand Canyon, you know. You don't want a Grand Canyon in your espresso puck. You want less than an ant farm channel. You want really, really tiny channels because you're never going to get no channels in your espresso puck. Even when we talk about brewing pour-overs or batch brewing, channeling is a problem where water is going to find the path of least resistance. It's going to try to not interact with that coffee. Uh, because the coffee is slowing it down and it wants to just follow gravity's directive and find its way into your cup, you know, or follow the pressure directive that it's, it's being forced through there. So if we can avoid channeling and we can have a level tamp, we can have an evenly extracted espresso. And that's the idea is you want to get all the stuff out of the coffee grounds and into your liquid espresso as evenly as possible. You want to get everything at the same rate and at the same time. And we know that's not going to happen. That's what Chris Hendon and his, friend and his colleague's paper was all about. Is This is Im an imperfect organic experience. How can we make this as repeatable as possible? But if you don't want to dig through all that science or try his style or anything like that, the best thing you can do is just try to tamp evenly and consistently. One thing you mentioned during that was that when you fail to do that, when you fail to tamp evenly consistently, you end up with an espresso shot that has been simultaneously over-extracted and under-extracted depending on where that water went through. But all that espresso shot, all that water is ending up in the same little little cup. Yep. Let's say you're practicing, you're learning. How are you able to taste both of those things when they are now blended together in the cup? Is there something that I can like pull out of there and just be like, oh, no, there's clearly something wrong here that instinctively or that you would say to a new employee, perhaps, who's learning this for the first time? Well, you know, I do my training the way I do it, not because I try to be mean to you, Ryan, but because I try to establish good habits and procedures. So the reason we had you tamp coffee and then throw it out without extracting it is that we wanted you to get used to the even tamping before we had to try to taste for it. 
because seeing the evenness of your tamping is actually quite easy if you have a pretty standard traditional tamper, which kind of almost looks like a chess piece. Um, is actually a pretty good way to look at it. Uh, it looks like a chess piece with a really wide base. If you take your chess piece tamper and you set it gently onto the puck that you've just tamped, you should be able to see pretty clearly whether your tamp has a high side and a low side, or whether it's pretty even the whole way around. And we, I remember watching you hold that portafilter basket with the tamper perched in it up to eye level and just inspecting all around it and looking at it very carefully from every direction because you wanted my approval. It was so sweet. Emotional scars run deep, Chris. <laughs> no, because you actually cared about making a good product and you knew that I was trying to guide you to making a good product. And if you can tamp it evenly, if you can not see any visual discrepancies from that inspection, then you're already on the path. Now, when we're tasting it, can you taste under extraction and over extraction at the same time? And yes, is the answer, but it's hard. It's much easier to taste under extraction or over extraction. And so the tastes I have people look for for under extraction are salty, metallic, and sour. And those salty, metallic, and or sour tastes are going to come from under extraction, whether you're under extracting by ratio, by time, or by channeling. And then over extraction, the easiest thing to kind of look for is I, I look for barbecue sauce in espresso. I taste barbecue sauce. Um, that to me is an over extracted espresso shot. There's some schools of thought that don't like to talk about over extraction being like a real thing. They like to say that all over extraction. I don't really know where they're getting out with that, but I know that there's some people out there that are better at coffee than I am that say that over extraction is just a poor version of, of good extraction or something like that. I don't, I don't know exactly, but, um, but I know that there's some people that avoid the term over extraction. I don't mind it. I think that if you leave the, the puck with pressurized water flowing over it for too long, you're going to start getting the taste of barbecue sauce. And I don't like that. I want to get something that's clean, sweet, has a nice acidity, you know, maybe there's a slight detectable saltiness, but as long as I get a good amount of sweet to balance out that saltiness and that, you know, detectable acidity, I'm pretty happy with the espresso. But I want sweetness to balance out those salts and sours. So you need to extract it enough to get sweetness out of that. And that's why it's always a good idea to stir your espresso when you're tasting it to evaluate it because the sugars will fall to the bottom and you want to really bring those up to the top and taste them. You want to always take at least a couple sips out of your espresso, stirring it every time to really see, do I get sweetness out of this? Because espresso is pretty intense. So you really want to make sure that you're letting your palate evaluate it fully. Now with, with tamping, I also want to ask you, does tamping correctly matter to the barista? And I ask that because I remember you uh, correcting my physicality while I was doing it. You know, yes. I, I would take the grinds, I'd put them in the portafilter, I'd tap on the counter, you know, I'd kind of lean over it so I could put as much weight down on that tamp as possible, you know, pressing from the elbow down through the wrist into that, that tamper. And you would always correct, you know, the position of my elbow or my wrist or, or how I was doing that. 
why does that matter? Why can't I just push it down however I want? And and how does it impact that barista? And obviously, uh, if you are you you work in a cafe, and so you're doing this repeated over time over time over time, which will have a different type of impact. But even for somebody who is tamping at home, why does this form matter? Repetitive motion injuries is a real problem. And so, you know, professionally, baristas, you know, we're, we're highly susceptible to repetitive motion injury from the action of tamping. And I just want to make sure I, I go back and I don't want any listeners to get the wrong idea. I, I don't, I know you didn't intend this, but um, you do not put as much pressure as you can on that puck uh, that is going to start hurting you because your body isn't really meant to be putting that much pressure in these directions, you know, regularly. So you want to push until the coffee pushes back is sometimes the way it gets put. Obviously, the coffee is not actually pushing back. It's just sitting there inertly. But as sort of a guideline for like how it feels to push on to the finely ground coffee grounds, you know, they're going to you're going to feel them getting smaller and more compact until you stop feeling that. And when you stop feeling that and you are continuing to push that's when the coffee is, quote, pushing back. And there have been some studies done on the impacts of different amounts of pressure on the extraction of the coffee, different amounts of tamping pressure on the extraction of the coffee. Um, and most of them have basically said that however hard you tamp is, you know, really not going to make that big of an impact because, again, 300 pounds worth of water pressure kind of hitting, hitting this puck. But nobody wants to be injured. Nobody wants to strain, you know, an elbow or a, a back or an arm or, or pull a muscle. Um, and so it's a good idea to try to exercise good form at all times. So you don't really want to be leaning over the thing. Ideally, what you do is you have your thumb in line with your forearm and your forearm at a, uh, your elbow at about a right angle. So that your whole forearm and thumb is pointing straight down at the counter. And obviously, we want the tamper to be at a perfect flatness on the top of the coffee grounds. So we're going to be pushing that straight down. So the, the bottom of your tamper should be approximately perpendicular to the countertop where your portafilter basket and your coffee grounds are sitting there, you know, close to level. You're pushing straight down at that. You can have some tilt to your portafilter basket if that enables you to get straight up and down or straight into the and perpendicular to the uh, the top of the portafilter basket more easily. But you really want that right angle of your elbow. You don't want to be leaning over too far. It can be really helpful to turn your hips 90 degrees to the countertop so that you can really um, apply the pressure and have the pressure from pushing down go up through your thumb and ball of your hand up through your forearm, get transferred over through your perfect right angle elbow, up through your upper arm, and into your shoulder, and all through your back. Baristas are very susceptible to repetitive motion injury in the elbow, in the wrist. Uh, a lot of the time I see what I call baristas with a broken wrist, where they're, there's an angle between the top of their hand and their forearm. You don't want that. You want your thumb and your forearm to be in line. And this is with the type of tamper that looks kind of like a chess piece. There are a variety of different tampers out there now. Um, there's a really cool tamper out there now that I am very eager to get called the Boss E-Tamper. 
that's a uh, portable electronic tamper that you just put on top and twist and it automatically tamps. This is a more accessible, lower price, kind of consumer grade version of the Puck Press, P-U-Q Press. The Puck Press is an electronic tamping device um, that's sold especially at coffee shops. It's to avoid uh, barista elbow, barista wrist. Um, you know, I have repetitive motion injury in my right elbow from tamping for years with bad form. And even though I haven't tamped with my right arm in probably seven, eight years, when I do try to tamp with it again, if I do it for, you know, more than five or six drinks, even three or four drinks sometimes, I'll start getting shooting pains up and down my right, my entire right arm. And it's, it's like quite painful. It's not comfortable. You know, there's a reason that Starbucks has all fully automated espresso machines now that grind, tamp, and empty the pucks all, all in one. And um, that's because they had, with some of their really high volume cafes, they had some really bad injuries. Now, my understanding is that most of those injuries, while there was a high proportion of repetitive motion injury, but the ones they were really avoiding were the stress fractures in the forearm from using the knockbox. And I can verify that that can be uh, uncomfortable. Knockboxes are usually have a rod across them to knock the portafilter against to break the puck out of there, the used puck. And that rod is usually coated in some kind of like rubber or foam, but that foam is going to wear out over time and the rod is usually metal. And so what tends to happen in most places is that you're banging metal on metal again and again and again. And over time in a busy cafe, you can actually get stress fractures in your forearm. And it seems kind of ridiculous because you think, oh, it's just making my coffee. So you talk about stress fractures and repetitive motion injury, but you know, that stuff hurts and it can be a chronic hurt and a chronic pain. And so it's, you know, if you want to keep doing this for a while or you want to do it the right way, you know, it's important to do it in a way that's easy on your body. So there's another type of uh, tamp out there. I can't think of like a generic name for it, but it kind of looks a bit like a hockey puck itself. And it just has a little short, narrower cylinder sticking out of it. And that one you're actually supposed to push with the, the palm of your hand or uh, with the, the base of your palm. And that one, it's sort of okay to have a little bit more break in your wrist because you're putting the pressure more directly against your forearm. Um, you're not using your hand as much, and so you're not creating as much of a, a stress point there between your hand and your forearm. And those tamps are very popular with baristas. I've never really loved them, but I haven't worked with them a ton. Our tamps have an auto-leveling plate on them, so it's impossible or near impossible to tamp unevenly with that plate on there. The plate will rest against the lip of the basket and make sure that your tamper can't really be at an angle as you push it down. And I find that, you know, helps a lot of consistency, but it also helps with this newer problem that we're experiencing as we get precision tampers. This is something you, you asked me if this is a topic that I was interested in doing today, and uh, I kind of thought I'd be talking about precision tampers more. But instead of just been talking about tamping basics, do you know anything about precision tampers? I don't, but here's what I would say is let's uh, save that for another episode. Okay. We'll do a second one, and this is great because we've never actually talked about tamping basics on this show, so we'll uh, we'll split that into another episode so people can kind of digest this. Yeah. Or if they're already beyond this point, they can skip right ahead to that precision 
uh, tamping episode in the future. Cool. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you very much, Ryan. It's always a pleasure to chat about coffee with you. And I'm pretty sure that you have no repetitive motion injury from working with me. Not from working with you. <laughs> Chris, thanks for being here. Obviously, I love chatting with you no matter how many sirens run past the apartment. I'm looking forward to sitting down with you and just enjoying a cup of coffee that hopefully somebody else makes for us sometimes. Oh, God. That would be nice. <laughs> I appreciate it. As long as you're not making coffee, we'll be all right. Okay, to recap, if I've learned anything at all about coffee in the six seasons I've hosted this show, is that getting a good cup of coffee is all about minimizing the variables that can F it up. To pull a great espresso, you need properly ground coffee and a well-executed tamp to avoid channeling. Tamping is the act of compressing finely ground coffee grinds into the coffee bucket that then locks into the espresso machine. A coffee bucket is more accurately referred to as a portafilter, and it is where the grinds sit while the espresso machine is forcing water through them. To quote Chris, if we don't have fancy terms for things, nobody takes us seriously. To which I might reply, I'm not sure people should take Chris and I seriously. The tamp is important because an uneven tamp causes over and under extracted coffee in the same shot of espresso, which makes it very hard to identify what the hell went wrong. If you are new at pulling espresso, it is doubly hard because you may not have dialed in your taste buds to be able to identify the differences. According to Chris, a barbecue sauce flavor is common for an over-extracted shot, and under-extraction causes salty, sour, and even metallic flavor notes. With tamping also comes the risk of injury. In the cafe, repetitive motion injuries are commonplace. And even at home, you want to make sure you're not using an improper tamping motion to avoid causing stress on a weak joint or ligament. Push the tamp down onto the grinds until the coffee pushes back. Don't overpush or put your whole weight on your elbow and wrist like I did. Not only might you hurt yourself, but you'll have less control, leaving you susceptible to causing an uneven tamp, which, as we know, leads to channeling and a crap espresso shot. Not from the show today, but just some good news in the world of coffee. A study in the European Journal of Preventative Cardiology found that drinking two to three cups of coffee per day can be good for your overall heart health and fairly significantly reduce the risk of heart-related ailments and even death. The study followed 450,000 people over about 12 and a half years, so it definitely has some weight behind it. More interesting to me was that the benefits were seen, albeit at a slightly reduced rate, among participants who drank decaf and even instant coffees. The correlation between positive benefits in coffee is clearly not limited to caffeine. Study author Peter Kissler said, quote, It is likely the non-caffeinated compounds were responsible for the positive relationships observed between coffee drinking, cardiovascular disease, and survival. Our findings indicate that drinking modest amounts of coffee of all types should not be discouraged, but can be enjoyed as heart-healthy behavior, end quote. So between the coffee and the wine, I'm feeling pretty good about my heart health right now. Disclosure, this is not an endorsement to drink wine for your heart. I am not a doctor. Please don't send me emails. I'm going to share that study, more coffee news, and some details on those tampers that Chris mentioned in this episode 
in the new edition of the RoastWestCoast.com newsletter. Go there ASAP, which I hate when people say that, so just go there as soon as you can. While you're there, maybe, I don't know, subscribe. The newsletter gets sent out twice a week, once with each episode, and features a lot of from-the-show and not-from-the-show details. And it's only growing. Finally, I did Google penguin noises, which did not sound at all like I thought they would. Thanks to Chris for coming back once again. He's going to be rejoining us in Season 7, and I've already sent him a list of topics to study up on. Coffee Cycle Roasting is one of the show's industry partners, who, along with our paid newsletter subscribers, ensure that this show gets made every single week and helps us continue to grow in the craft coffee community. Other partners include Café La Terre, Moster Coffee Company, Steady State Coffee Roasting, Camp Coffee Company, Coffee Cycle Roasting, Ignite Coffee Company, Maria Coffee, Cape Horn Coffee Importers, and Ascend Coffee Roasters. Thank you all for listening and for supporting this show. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Brian Wolt. I hope this episode has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through the day. Always tip your baristas, and be sure to drink good coffee.